Market. The S&P, the ISX stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that is hitting record highs. I'm Scott Phillips and with me, as always, the man himself, Andrew Ram Page. G'day, mate. How are you? <laughs> G'day, Mr. Phillips. I'm very good. Yourself? I'm very, I feel, I'm good thing, man. I feel like I should be a rest, one of those wrestling announcers, you know. In the red corner with a fighting weight of 485 pounds, the man with a plan, Andrew Rampage. No, that can happen. Right. If I ever um, become a, a pro wrestler, Rampage <laughs> is, is definitely the name I'm going to go with. I wouldn't see it as likely, but there's, you know, you always got to have a fallback plan. So. <laughs> exactly, mate. Plan B, plan B. You never know. You never know. Um, yes. No, well, as, some, things, as, some things you know, some things you do know. <laughs> As, as the listeners might know, you, you were a Motley Fool employee once upon a time. We've been mates for many years. And um, mm. you, you were known as Ram for Rampage around the office. And so when I, have to, when I have to stop myself and actually call you Andrew in the podcast, my brain actually does some sort of weird, you know, kind of fizz out <laughs> thing because I, I it doesn't come naturally. Uh, so I figure if I slowly weave it into the podcast when I start calling you Ram, people will know. So there we go. Uh, for, thanks mate, for we're spreading gonna, that. Cheers. <laughs> we, we got a big podcast this week, as always. Um, let's get straight into it, buddy. We've, we've got some... Good slash bad slash interesting um, economic news to deal with. We'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about the retail environment, some big re- big retail news from both Coles and JB Hi-Fi during the week. Atlassian, oh, the big Australian tech success story, has told its staff it can work, they can work from home and I'll let you know what they said they need to be in the office. And tech is just on fire in the US, mate. We record this on Thursday morning, so today is Thursday, the 29th of April. Mate, just quietly too, almost the end of April, a third of the year gone, if you can believe that. Um, I can't. The tech stocks in the US are going through the roof, and we will talk about that. And of course, as we always like to do, we'll dip into the full mailbag. Mate, let's get on with it. Um, CPI out this week, inflation. This is one of those weird things that takes a bit of explaining to people who don't follow the markets and the economy maybe as much as we do because for a long time inflation inflation was bad for years i you and i grew up we went to economics classes at high school and uni and they said inflation's bad stagflation that term they kind of coined in the 80s where we had high inflation but low economic growth was bad and so we're going to get inflation down and central banks spent it's probably 30 years i feel i think probably 30 years 25 years at the very least trying to break the back of inflation, trying to get it under control, trying to fix it once and for all. And they did. I remember interest rates, by the way, interest rates were the late 80s were like 16 17%. You know it exactly, um, that's right. On, if you can wrap your head around that today. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, that, exactly. that, that was in part, um, well, very much in part to sort of controlling CPI. Yeah. And when you, when you think about... Uh, you know, the, the whole boomers versus millennials thing, which I have no time for just quietly. But you, you can kind of see where they're both coming from, right? At one hand, the millennials saying, hey, look at house price. The other, the other hand, the boomers like, dude, I paid 70% of my mortgage. Don't complain, you know? And it's one of those things yeah. where yeah. we won't get into housing today necessarily unless you desperately want to. But, it, you know, no. it is one of those stories where your life experiences absolutely define your outlook, right? Like, it's like, you know, yeah. guys, you're paying 3% your mortgage. Don't talk to me about inflation. And, and millennials saying, hang on, you got free education and low house prices. Don't complain to me about interest rates. And it's, you know, as always, rarely that clear, really that obvious each side fights their corner, uh, to go back to our wrestling metaphor yeah. earlier. Yeah. But um, it's one of those things. Anyway, so, so fast and the forward truth, now. And the truth being somewhere in the middle of, uh, of course. <laughs> it always is, that's yeah. all right. Yeah, somewhere, somewhere between the two self-interested parties is the truth. Um, the truth, yep. The, the CPI, now it's only 0.6% for the quarter. That means great, prices aren't going up very fast. Those of us paying petrol and electricity and grocery prices are like, oh, that's fantastic. 
And then you open the pages and every central bank around the world is like, oh, that's terrible. And it's one of those things, right? High inflation was a problem till we fixed it. Now, low inflation is a problem. And it was lower than expected. The economists were expecting about 1% or so for the quarter. 0.6 was the final number. Um, as always, there are, there are moving parts there, but it does seem to push the next rate rises off further into the future about, I'll give the RBA some credit, about what they said when the market said, no, that won't happen. Um, it's looking like, you know, they're, they're closer and closer to being right. The market jumped on the news because investors love low rates. The dollar fell because the Australian dollar hates low rates. The higher the rate, the, high, the more demand for the dollar, generally speaking. And again, that's all a bit random. At the same time, and I'll, I'll throw this to actually and get you to juxtapose them for us. At the same time, we have reports in today's paper that the federal government, the party of debt and deficit disaster, uh, without getting too political, has abandoned austerity and is embracing debt, embracing budget deficits. And by all reports, I mean, it couldn't be an election year, could it? But this upcoming budget apparently is going to be full of spending, not many uh, increases or reductions in, in government spending, not many increases in taxes. Um, I don't know. I, I'm a cynical bastard. I, you know, I, I, from, I, and both, by the way, I'm equally cynical on both sides of the house in this case. If, you, if you're up for a re-election budget, they're never the tough budgets. They're never the, they're never the national interest budgets, are they? It's always the first one of a cycle. The last one of a cycle is always the, uh, let's not scare the horses. We might have to go to the vote, to go to, the, go to the, the electorate in a couple of months' time and we better be careful. Yeah. Mate, all that yeah. said, co- contrast all that for me. CPI, uh, budget possibly, back in black, by the way, because of massive iron ore price. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, but how do you kind of, where's the economy sitting as an investor? Um, do you look at the CPI? Do you look at the economic growth numbers? Do you look at the budget position and have a, a view or a perspective? Mate, you, you could not have given me a broader... Um, Sorry. Than, uh, that is... <laughs> Come on, you can go uh, wherever you want with this, mate. I've given you, I've given where, you carte blanche. Go for it. Knock yourself out. Whatever where, you want to rant about, go for it. Where do I start? Where do I start? Well, look, <laughs> oh, jeez. I, I, I got... I, I think I mentioned this last week, or maybe privately, if not on the pod. I, I'm actually, I'm kind of with Buffett. I, I just don't spend much time on macro, yeah. um, only because it's it's. I think it's it's interesting, but it's just notoriously hard to predict. I mean, look mm-hmm. at look at look at what. Um, we'll stick to the topic, right? In, inflation. Look at what the boffins were saying uh, a year <laughs> ago, and six, and just, and it's not it's not to sort of poke fun. It's just that you know they keep getting asked and they give their best mm-hmm. guess, but it's it's just notoriously sort of hard and. So, so there is that disclaimer there. I don't, I don't, I, and I mentioned that too because I think a lot of um, investors sort of get put off by it. It's like, wow, I've got to learn all this stuff, sort of about business and valuation shares, and on top of that, I need to become an economic expert, and it's as boring as the proverbial <laughs> bat, you know. And I, so, I, I kind of say it is, it is absolutely fundamentally important um, overall. Of course, the economy is really just society and all of us and how mm. we interact together. But yeah. I wouldn't sw- spend, I wouldn't spend too much time obsessing over it in terms of what it means for, for someone who's making long-term investments. So that's that's the first thing to say. Having said that, so back, remember when bond yields um, were going up and then it was all the talk about how inflation is going to be much higher than expected and now it's right, much lower right. than expected, <laughs> you know? So yep. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's fascinating because I think one thing you can say is that if rates go up to any meaningful degree, and as mm. you've mentioned on the podcast before, it only really has to given the sort of levels of debt burdens and whatever, it doesn't have to go up much, yeah. um, that you will see you will see a very, I think, 
uh, material impact on the share market. I think it's going to yeah. be um, it's going to be much harder to justify a lot of these valuations in a high interest rate world. So that's that's really important. Mm, yeah. um, we also have to remember that it, this is this is something that took me a long time to get my head around, and I think I think a lot of it's the same for a lot of people is that we actually want inflation. Yeah. Um, it seems odd to think, why would I want prices to go up? Uh, why does the, the RBA targets this 2 to 3% ban? It's like, well, why not target zero? You know, why not target negative 1%? Wouldn't it be greater if things got cheaper every cheaper, year? Right, exactly. But and then without getting down the rabbit hole here, but just think about that for a second. Imagine if CPI was negative 1%. And you had a bit of money in your pocket and you were thinking of buying that new mm-hmm. Tesla. Um, or whatever you were, you know, whatever whatever someone like Scott Phillips likes to buy with his with his millions of dollars. <laughs> and and um, and you think, well, inflation's going down. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll maybe I'll wait till next year. It'll it will be yeah. cheaper. So what it has, you know, very simply, it, it has this effect of deferring spending. And someone's spending is someone else's income, and that is the right. whole engine of of the economy. So you want enough inflation that people aren't deferring all of this this expenditure, but not so much that things are getting out of control. Mm. And and it's just yeah, it's just been really stubbornly low for a long time. I was going to I'll throw something back to you. What what part of that do you think is due to changes in the way that we consume. I, I can't help but wonder with more and more of our focus and attention and lives online and just the efficiency and delivery of a lot of those services that it is just <laughs> right. cheaper to, to run. Yeah. Is that a factor of it or is it just more what you would perhaps see in a, in a pre-internet technology world? I don't know. Mate, and that, that is Talking about big questions to throw to each other. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll attempt an answer, but for all it's worth up front, I will say I'm almost certainly wrong because no one knows. the. If we knew the answer to that, yeah. that, that is literally yeah. the riddle that is plaguing economists right now because the question of how do we get inflation back is intrinsically linked to where the hell has inflation gone? And, and that's that's exactly as you say. That's the that's the right question to be asking. So I think there's a couple of things at play. If I, if I, if I, if I take a reasonably educated guess, though I'm an amateur, um, couple of things first is we are importing deflation so if you think mm. about the replacement of locally manufactured and to some degree serviced uh, uh spending um and you replace those with internationally serviced manufacturing and and, and services then that pushes prices down so let, let's take let's take a single example if you we, we once upon a time used to buy 25 40 dollar 45 dollar rip curl shirts made in australia right now we go to Kmart and we buy $4 non-branded shirts. I've got a couple of my drawer that I bought for a beach trip a while ago. Um, they literally like, I think I, I think I bought, I want to say three shirts, two pairs of shorts and I don't know, a pair of thongs or something. And it literally cost me 20 bucks. And which is, which is stupidly small, right? But if you think about that, that I mean, that's an extreme example. But what I, I bought six things for what would have cost me, uh, for less than what it would have cost me to buy one that was Australian manufactured. Mm-hmm. And by the way, the Australian clothing, textile and footwear industry has gone overseas. It doesn't exist yep. here anymore. Cars, same thing. You know, we we could we could have bought a reasonably decent quality Commodore. I own one; they were pretty good. Um, but you make small numbers of them locally with local labour and small scale, or you can buy a Toyota Camry that costs the same as it used to cost twenty years ago in today's dollars. So in, in nominal dollars, so not, not even just inflation inflation adjusted, right? Mm. So I'm paying the same out for a Camry I paid twenty years ago today. It's a stupidly better car. Uh, it's much more fuel efficient, by the way. So our fuel consumption is falling as a community, despite growing populations, and yeah. you're getting more for your dollar. And you, you push that across the whole thing. Outsourcing call centres, same thing. 
manufacturing mm. in China or Vietnam or Bangladesh or India or Africa, same thing. So I think we're, I think yeah. we're importing deflation. In other words, where because we're importing, we're importing lower price goods than what we're replacing here, and that's pushing prices down. I think mm. we are, as you say, in a technological world where uh, we are getting more for our dollar. You know, again, think about eight dollars a month or ten dollars a month, twelve dollars a month for Netflix. Um, you can't buy a movie ticket for that one for one session, let alone for the family. Load it anytime you want to. So there's that. Yep. Um, and and then kind of spread that across the rest of the that that continues to happen, right? And I think that's to my mind, that's the big one. I think there's a, just an ongoing replacement of, yeah. And, and I've, I said on Twitter a little while ago, actually. The other thing is, don't forget when you buy an iPhone or a, a Pixel, as you and I have, uh, what the best phones in the world. Um, <laughs> no, it's only here to contradict me. It's wonderful. Um, the 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 other thing about that is it gets better over time. I get sent an update for these the apps and the operating system on my phone remotely without asking, without paying. Just it just turns up. My phone actually gets better, and, you know. And that that has no that has no parallel in history. So, I, for what it's worth, man, I think those are the majority of the reasons why this is happening. Um, and it's also to some degree these things are virtuous and vicious circles, right? Like wage wage increases led to inflation. Inflation led to wage increases. The, the famously back to speaking of economics, we learned about the accord at school, the deal between the then government in '83 and the union movement, where they said, "Look, this is getting out of control. How about we try and keep prices down? How about you guys don't ask for stupid wage increases? Let's hope this thing just settles down." So they mm. broke the cycle. Right now, you've got exactly the same thing. Wages aren't going up. And prices aren't going up. But so to some degree, it's also partly that, right? It's like, if I don't get an increase, I'm not spending more. If I'm not spending more, prices don't go up. If prices don't go up, I don't get a wage increase. And so there's a bit of that at play as well. How's that, how's that for a, yep. a three-prong answer? Oh, there's so many things to sort of dig into there, just outside yeah, of there? economics in terms of what, what that means yeah, ethically, socially, and all the rest of it. But yeah, it is right, right. Yeah, it's big questions, big questions. I'm going to grab one thing you said, actually, Matt. I'm, I'm probably a bigger Warren Buffett fan than you, which is not easy, but I think it's... Is it possibly true? Would you say that? Or are we, are we going to... No, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. No, but I mean, you know, it's hard not to respect the guy. And you mentioned Buffett about not spending too long on on economic forecasts, and I agree with that. I will say, though, I think it's increasingly obvious that he made a mistake. And I think he said to CNBC, and I want to say this was two years ago maybe, but I I haven't looked it up Mm. this morning. Um, He said stocks are cheap if rates stay low. And they did. But he didn't think they would. And mm. when I say he's made a mistake, he's not alone. And it's not even a, a, a horrible mistake of um, of kind of, you know, investing, you know, failure or, or investing screw up. It's just literally some economic circumstances happened that he didn't expect. And so the only thing I would say is, while, while I agree with him broadly mm. that trying to forecast the economy is a waste of time, knowing where you are kind of matters. And you mentioned Howard Marks last week. I think Marx mm. has said the same thing. We don't know what's happening, but we kind of we need to know where we are. In other words, you know, don't try and forecast, but know where you are right now. I think that's, you know, again, to be uh, to be a little bit critical of Buffett, which I find uncomfortable, but I will. Mm. Um, I think he got that wrong. I think he, he just completely misunderstood. And, and, you know, he's entitled to it. It's not, it's not a criticism in terms of, I don't think he completely screwed up, but it's, I think it's almost inarguable that he, he wasn't buying because he thought rates would go up, and they haven't. And yeah. they might still, and he might still be right, but his point was absolutely right. Stocks are cheap if, if, if rates stay low. He just grew up in a world like the rest of us where rates don't stay low. And so we're all waiting for normality to return and it's not. And that's that's probably yeah. the, the hardest thing. So I think there is some, I don't know if there's a need to forecast necessarily, but we do need to realise that rates will have an unusually large impact on investment returns over the next 10 years, I think. And and yeah. unusual versus the, the history, versus the past because they're now so low. And because the direction yeah. they take may actually meaningfully increase, or sorry, impact share prices. 
That's what really worries me, particularly for someone who I just naturally gravitate towards technology shares and the rest of it. I like yeah. those companies a lot, but it's, it's you know, <clears throat> quality is one thing, price is another. And, yeah, right. and it, I, I've been saying it for a while and, you know, caution, too much caution over too long a period of time mm. is a real risk, in fact, because there's huge opportunity right. costs in, yeah, yeah, in yeah. all of that kind of stuff. But I just... I find it hard to to really aggressively pile into some stocks that I'd really like to, be, mm-hmm. primarily because of that. And, and on one hand, I can say, well, actually, I can totally see this being more, uh, the, the share price being much higher in the years ahead if interest <laughs> rates do right. stay low. But if that's they right. don't, that's yes, going to exactly. be really hard. Exactly. And it's kind yeah. of like, you know, uh, th- mm-hmm. there's... And that's in both scenarios. That's with the business doing the exact same thing. So Facebook yeah. could compound its its earnings at twenty percent for the next five years, and under a high interest rate environment, you'll, you'll do terribly. Mm-hmm. And under interest rates not moving, you'll do incredibly well. <laughs> and so, and then, and and Facebook has no control over that. So it's it's exactly. it's a really it's a baffling thing. Which and it's un, I think that's why we're talking about because it, it's unusual. Like rates have always fluctuated, but have never been this low, and never for this long. And so the kind of what next and the new normals and the what people expect, that's all changing. Mate, let me move on because mm. um, we'll come to tech in a minute. But um, very quickly, and I'm, you and I aren't particularly iron ore investors, generally speaking, but I did note this morning as we record this that iron ore has hit an all-time record high. And I think I might have said, I'm sure I've said in the podcast, where I've said everywhere I've, I've been able to because I kind of like this line, so I've used it a few times. But mm. iron ore miners are running software margins right now. So if you you're all talk about tech, you know about Facebook's margins? They are stupidly high, right? I don't know. They're probably 80% gross margins. Mm. Right now, Rio Tinto's are higher. And if that doesn't <laughs> blow your brain, if you know anything about investing, your listeners, that, that should, your brain should explode at this point, right? Because mm-hmm. software margins are exciting because they're software margins. They're unprecedented because of scale. No one makes 80% gross margins until software does because you make it once, you sell it a trillion times. There's no incremental cost of that extra sale because you made the software already. You just give someone else a copy just of it or access it. to it. Yeah. It's even better, right? Mm. If great. you're mining iron ore in Australia right now, you're taking out of the ground for teens, so $15, $18 a ton, right? You are selling it for $200 a ton. Yeah. That is a 90%-ish gross margin. That is stupidly high. So man, yeah. I'm, I'm just going to... And by the way, the other news this morning was that Jenna Reinhardt's company, Roy Hill, is going to pay a $1.35 billion dividend for a quarter. <laughs> That's a lot of money for wow. a year. It's a lot of money for a half. Wow. That's a quarter. She's on pace for almost $6 billion of dividends this year. I'm sure so that, she'll put that towards a lot of philanthropic uh, opportunities and uh, you know make the world a better place if all that money. Yeah. Gina, that's Paige, P-A-G-E. Um, <laughs> I, have, I have no view, but I, but I hope she does. Um, the, I do, I do. But I'm not going to go the, into it. Um, so, look, I, 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 I raise it because it's noteworthy. I raise it because I've just got a direct point to make, which is if you own iron ore shares, sell them now. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know what happens next. Right? Maybe it goes to 250 maybe it goes $300 a ton. I don't know. What I do know is that unless there's a permanent constraint on the supply of iron ore, and I guess you can imagine a scenario where that might be true, uh, unless there's a permanent constraint, when supply increases to match demand, the price will fall and probably meaningfully, possibly fast, maybe not, but there is absolutely no economic basis for the price and the cost to be so far apart right now. So it is, yeah. well, sorry, there's a reason for it to be right now. There's no reason for it to stay like that. And so I just, you know, if, if you're an iron ore investor, then great, congratulations, good on you, all those good things. 
just do do me and yourself a favour and really consider whether you honestly think prices can stay this high. Because if they don't, then share prices almost have to fall. Um, nothing is certain. Nothing you can't draw direct lines. You can't draw causations because you know the market's a weird place. But if you know, unless economics turns on its head and the rules no longer apply, prices will fall when supply catches up. If you own shares now, well done, congratulations. Again, maybe they go higher. So I'm not calling a top. I don't do that. That's stupid. But I do expect over the fullness of time, iron ore prices are lower, perhaps meaningfully lower over the long term. And if and when they are, that's going to hurt share prices. Mate, that's, that's a bit so of a rant slash statement. Any thoughts? No, well, you're very definitive there. And I think it's worth dig- digging in, and for good reason. And I think it's worth digging in just for a little bit for listeners' Perfect. sake as to why, how can how can he be so confident of this? So you mentioned tech <laughs> companies before as well. So yeah, tech companies enjoy really good margins on the proviso that they're selling something unique. So only Facebook has Facebook, right? So, so you know, it, it has it has wonderful margins. Only yep. Apple has iPhones. So it, it has really nice margins. There are plenty of other online internet software style businesses which really do commodity style. You know, there's just a thousand. If you ever you've looked at uh, uh, editing software or, you know, um, there's, there's a bunch of examples out there. And you know what the price is? It's free. And often the developer will ask you for a bit of a donation. So, and, 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 and the, why is that? Why is the difference? And the difference is the uniqueness. And, and the giveaway here is that, that Rio and BHP, that and anyone who's in iron ore is dealing in iron ore, which is uh, by definition a commodity, which basically mm-hmm. means, you know, anyone's iron ore is more or less the same as anyone else's. So yes, when you yep. see prices get to record levels, anyone <laughs> who's got capacity to ramp up their production will ramp up their production. Right. Um, anyone who is thinking of opening a new mine will open a new mine. Iron is one of the most abundant elements in metals in the Earth's crust. It's not mm-hmm. rare in any way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. So that's, listeners, why Scott's being so definitive on it, not in terms of the timing, but in terms of the general direction. It has always been thus. So there's, there's that... Just to sort of uh, edge into that political sphere again as well, what's also interesting is that, well, this is, and you mentioned the budget before, this is all to do with China, right? So China is saying they don't want our, our wine or uh, other things at the moment for, for maybe political reasons or maybe not. Uh-huh. But oh, they no, haven't totally really political. said, they totally have political. not... They have not touched iron ore, right? And that is because they are desperate for it. And we've got really, really good stuff and and some of the best stuff in the world. And uh, yeah, they're super hungry for it. But unlike a lot of Western nations, these guys are long-term thinkers, right? So whereas Morrison's thinking, you know, six months ahead to the next election, uh, (laughs) the the Chinese Communist Party's thinking like 10, 20 years down the track. And they they are crazily diversifying their access to to iron ore. So I it actually worries me for the country longer term. And this is something that's not around the corner, but it, well maybe historic, you know, in a historical sense it is, but but you know, it's not going to something that happens tomorrow, but I do wonder when all this additional new supply comes online and all of a sudden they're not as dependent on Australia and and, and uh, places like that that uh, we could be in trouble. It's our largest export. Mm-hmm. It is our largest export by a, by a very large degree. And speaking of speaking of uh, politi- politics again, um, so th- that's where the government's got a huge free kick because the the price has <laughs> gone up much more than they forecast. You watch the cynical bastards claim brilliant economic management on on, on something that was basically a free kick that was handed to them. And, and again, this is agnostic. Both sides of politics would do the same things. But anyway, you, you said you started with a rant. How how was that for a rant? You done well, mate. Well done. Uh, between the two of us, you've insulted Jenner, I've insulted Chinese Communist Party. So we're pretty much persona non grata anywhere else except for this podcast. We better we better keep doing it. 
Mate, let, let's move on because uh, there's there's plenty more to come. The other thing, big news this week was retail uh, and some really. They're kind of not really related, but they're both retail and they're both interesting for, for different reasons. So the first thing is that Coles delivered sales decline of 6.4% in the quarter. Now, Stephen Kane, the Coles CEO, spun this beautiful thing. Oh, I'm really encouraged by that. It's like, yeah, you've got to, you've got, you've got to be a CEO, right, or a CEO spin doctor to uh, be able to be encouraged by a 6% sales decline. On the same yeah. basis, though, no one is – like nobody is surprised by this. Um, mm. As I, I saw a line in the, uh, in the one of the Fairfax Press or the Nine Press these days, I suppose we should call it, uh, saying that he politely described it as pantry stocking. Uh, the, the inference was, of course, what it should be called was panic buying. And so we mm. have bought a lot of stuff that we frankly are then either still have in the cupboard or went out of date and we threw away. Um, and I think it's also fair to say we did a lot more actual use of those products by cooking at home and making things at yeah. home. And so the t- combination of those two, you know, toilet paper up the wazoo and all of a sudden the rediscovery that we can actually all make bread or you know, <laughs> you know not go out for dinner and make something at home. That was great news for coal sales. Of course, those two factors unwind a year later. Um, remember, of course, we're comparing against the... Now, I will say, by the way, that's, we're comparing against the first quarter. There was still worse pain to come, right? April, May, June yeah. was worse yeah. than that. So we'll see more declines. And you aren't here, mate, but I've been telling our listeners for a very long time to expect sales declines this both the first and second quarter of this year, it is it is almost certain in most um, average retail yep. businesses like like uh, supermarkets. Um, so yeah, sales were down, and, and you know we, we we stopped. We went back out to restaurants. We used up some of the stuff that was in the cupboard. We didn't have to buy as much. Uh, go to, poor, poor toilet paper manufacturer. I reckon they probably put some of those those manufacturing plants into furlough right now. Right? They go like, well, we don't need until September, guys. We've, yeah, we've got plenty of toilet paper. Um, <laughs> so you know, there's all that, there's all that going on, and, and I think so. The, you know, a, a broad point is. We should expect it. We should have expected it. Don't be surprised by it. The market is generally pretty good at this stuff, but if you're an individual investor saying, oh my God, what's happening to Coles and Woolies when it reports and others, this is exactly what you should have expected. Um, the best thing most people could do, I think, mate, and tell me if you disagree, is to use 2019 sales as, as a starting point for looking at comparisons. We always look at year on year because it's supposed to matter. Um, that, by the way, is also a little bit strange because a trip around the sun doesn't make all that much difference, but we've used it as a, as a, as a benchmark, which is fine. For me, if I'm looking at 2021 sales, though, I'm looking at 2019 and say, how has it grown over those two years in total? Um, even then, by the way, there's probably still some underperformance in coal sales because of that pantry stock, which is being undone. So normal is probably still somewhere between zero and minus six where they are now. So it's still not a super clear set of numbers, but it gives you a better sense of where things are going. And on that score, coals is up decently. And I think that's worth pointing out. Yeah, I think context is always handy when looking at these kinds of things too. Like there's so much, you know, if you're reading the, the financial press, it's always about oh, Coles versus Woolies, who's getting the most mm-hmm. market share? What's the new, you know, <laughs> the up and comers and Aldi and they, yeah. it's yeah. such, it's such, I guess it's an interesting people like a bit of a drama, but it's, it's mm-hmm. basically when I look at supermarket sales, I think, you know what, it's basically going to be the rate of economic growth over the long term on average. Coles will be ahead at some point, Coles at others. Um, but you're looking at something that's probably going to be in the vicinity of 2 to 3% revenue growth over long term. And there'll be periods mm. of pantry stocking, as you, as, as, as you yeah. called it. Um, and there'll be, there'll be periods where we're, we're spending less. But that's kind of, I think, the smart way to kind of look at it. And the market not being smart uh, all that often. You can see what what's happened to the share price. If you bring up Coles, I mean, wow, it's really sort of fallen off a cliff this year. Yeah, exactly. What? Why is that? Well, 
we don't really, no one really knows, but I would posit mm -hmm. that towards the end of last year and the beginning of this year, everyone was going, wow, Coles and Woolies, they're doing so incredibly well. And, you know, and then and we just extrapolate out to the future. And then, you know, these, these, the weaker sales numbers come through as we cycle through, which, as yeah. you said, really blind Freddy could have seen coming. And, yeah. and yet then it goes, oh, yeah, that's right. And, and, and that will happen again and again and again. But I would sort of say anyone who's got their eyes on on the supermarkets. I mean, this is yep. the time. This this is, this is this is a far more compelling proposition now than it than it was when everyone was excited about it. Because yeah. whatever happens washes yeah, out right, over exactly. the next few quarters. I would be reasonably confident that in ten years' time, Coles is around in a bigger institution than it is today. Not not that it's going to be growing at twenty percent compound. Of course not. Yeah. But yeah. but um, I think when you take those. Forecasting is hard, particularly about the future, um, as Yogi Berry, Yogi <laughs> Berry said. Um, but but when you when you talk about big general predictions like that, they're much mm. easier to make. And for someone mm. who's in in that uh, of that inclination to to get into to consumer staples and coals and woolies and that kind mm. of stuff, mm. I would think about it that way without getting too clever and fancy yeah, pants nice. on about what next quarterly sales is going to be. Mate, and, I, and for so, the record, I think I still think they're both expensive. They're, they're both, and this is, comes back agree. to the interest rate discussion. <laughs> I, I like both <laughs> businesses, right. but yeah. they're kind of being they're kind of being valued as if they're going to be growing at much higher rates than I think is economically yeah. possible. I think that's exactly right, mate. Why were you were speaking? And I haven't looked at the details, so we won't talk about the announcement. Willis has released their sales, literally, as you were okay. speaking. Okay. Well, this, 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 the tweet right. came out, so I saw that. I, we won't go into it because I haven't looked at it. You haven't looked at it, but I will say so. Professor Gary Mortimer, who I follow on Twitter. At Prof Retail is his is his Twitter handle, and it can, here's here's the here's the quote that he's he's lifted from that third quarter sales results. This is third quarter, right? And I quote: "E-commerce sales increased. This is for Woolies by ninety and a half percent to eight hundred and seventy eight million dollars, representing seven point nine percent of Australian food sales." Wow, and I you know so. It doesn't. It doesn't change anything you just said about valuations because it's moving from physical to online. That's all fine. But one dollar. Yeah, you're not doing 12, two shops if you're getting it home delivered. But yes. Right. Right. One dollar and twelve though is now being spent in Woolies. Not. Not even people leaving Woolies and using Amazon or Costco or someone else online. Woolies dollar and twelve being spent online. Their total sales. That is. I am. I am genuinely flabbergasted, mate. Um, you, you know, we know the e-commerce thing is happening. That is phenomenally fast and phenomenally large for grocery. I'm very rarely speechless. I'm almost speechless because if you think about that, now, yeah, again, could we, should we have expected it? Maybe, except don't forget, this is year on year. This is post-pandemic. This is January to April. And this is consumers saying, I have learned to shop online. I like shopping online. I will continue shopping online. To me, this is, this is some degree of... of Proof of the trend, and when Woolies was happening at Woolies, one dollar and twelve. Think about every Woolies customer: the the stereotypical little old ladies and the the teenagers and the everyone. Everyone total one dollar and twelve being delivered in a truck, being ordered online. It's a that's a phenomenal change, and really does. I I don't want to overstate. I don't want to do stupid, you know, but I think it does mark a meaningful step change in, in the way we buy things in Australia. I think yeah, and a couple things I'd add to that too. I I think. Um it's really hard to contextualize your own position in in history mm, and big mm. historical structural changes. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's easy for all of us in 2021 to sort of feel, particularly when we've seen what's happened with a lot of um, companies and, and changes out there, that 
the big moves have already happened. I, I firmly believe we're still we're still in the digital stone age. <laughs> I yeah. still think we've got a yep. long way for these things to run. Um, you know, there'll be people out there going, oh man, I've been using online shopping uh, for my groceries for years. It's great. It's not a new thing. Surely everyone does yep. it. Actually, the yep. penetration's really low. <laughs> exactly, but yeah. There's a huge way for that to run. You can just imagine if that started to get to where, you know, one in two people started doing it that way, how, how significantly uh, uh, different that is. So that's yeah. that's the point I make, and that's what COVID did, and it's been well spoken of before. Is it didn't it didn't invent new trends, but it accelerated existing right, trends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I would just urge well people to reconsider that that view as to whether you know it's too late. I've missed the boat. It's happened. I, I yeah, think right. I think these trends still still have a very very meaningful long way to run. Um, yep. Yes, the pace the pace though that that is that is a that is a big number. Um, Remarkable. Hey? All right. Mate, well, the other piece of retail yeah. news this week, just to, to move on, was JB Hi-Fi losing its CEO, Richard Murray. He's been there for, I want to say, about 14, 15 years. Going to Premier Investments, one of the least attractively sexy named businesses in the, in the country. Premier Investments, what do they do? Are they like a fund manager? No, no, they're a retail business. Uh, they also want to shake a second Rag people, trader. Among other things. Rag, well, so I, I throw that every time I'm asked on media, I always throw in billionaire rag trader. It's one of those yeah. it's one of those phrases that only ever has been applied to one person, but has been used by every <laughs> every journal, every writer, every investor ever to describe Solomon yeah. Liu, who we're talking about, of course. Yeah. Billionaire rag yeah. trader Solomon Liu. There is no other. Uh, it, it's yeah. almost an oxymoron. Tautology almost at some levels. Like it, it, you know, the, the terms are now interchangeable. Billionaire rag yeah. trader equals Solomon Liu. You could, you could write either and, and be the same thing. Um, <laughs> but yes, that's right. And, you know, so Smiggle, um, Peter Alexander, uh, Sleepwear, JJ's Just Jeans, a whole lot of other um, brands alongside. This is um, like, interesting for a couple of reasons. The first is JB has done astonishingly well through the pandemic, as has Premier. Uh, Mark McInnes, of course, ex-DJ's chief, was the retail czar at Premier Investments under Solly Liu for many years. He announced his retirement and Murray's kind of going, well, I'll, I'll take the money. Thank you. I was, you know, <laughs> I, I think I think he was on $1.3 million. He's going to be now on $2 million. So that's a nice little pay bump and it's a new challenge and all that bad. kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Terry Smart, mm-hmm. the old CEO of JB Hi-Fi, is going to be the new CEO of JB Hi-Fi, replacing his <laughs> replacement, which is also a little bit bizarre. I find that I find that astonishing too. Um, man, I don't even know really what point I have to make other than we will see, I think, that, you know, there are some, there are some CEOs who are great because... Look, all CEOs are very, very capable people, right? They've done. If, if you've been successful, you've you've not screwed up. That's that's something. Mm. Yeah. But I'm I'm going to be a little bit. I'm not going to say that Murray Murray. I think is is has done a great job. But there are some CEOs who are good CEOs because they get to the on the right train at the right time. Like you know, if you were if you're in the telecommunications space through much of maybe like 2015 through to 2018, you, you couldn't help but make money and look like a genius because telcos would go through the roof, right? Mm. Um, equally. If you're Alan Joyce, no matter how good you are, Qantas still sucks as a business. And keeping the thing afloat and managing not to go broke over the last 10 years is a remarkable success, I think exceeding any of the successes of the CEOs we, we highlight because they're geniuses. Um, I used to work for Christian Holgate. I've defended her in um, in plenty of places about the Cardia watch thing. Uh, I think she's been completely screwed over by the same token. I think she also got a very, very nice run at Blackmores because Chinese sales of Blackmores went through the roof, as did Swiss and other brands. Was it her? Partly. Was it the circumstances? Yeah, a lot of that as well. Um, mm. So we'll see. I guess my point is just we will see how good Murray actually is uh, moving from, to be fair, one successful retailer to another. But do his skills just pertain to brown goods? Was it just JB Hi-Fi? Or is, yeah, does he bring something to the table that is genuinely, you know, 
better than the average bear and will he go on to prove in a separate business that he can be the CEO that, that Solomon Liu obviously thinks he is and is prepared to pay two million bucks a year to uh, to get the benefit of? Look, I would say that the very move, the very nature of the move itself speaks volumes because Solly Liu is a very um, he has a very strong eye for talent. And, and let's, it's a, yeah. So there's 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 a lot of as you rightly say there's a lot of you know right place right time kind of thing. There's never really been any strong structural tailwind behind yeah. um, clothing, right? And and in that time since 1995, I can't even read it because the chart scale is so small. Shares, <laughs> yeah. shares were fifty yeah. cents, right, in Premier, and now they're twenty six dollars. And that's okay. That's an insanely yeah, right. long yeah. period yeah. Of, of time. But even if you go back ten years, shares were five yeah. bucks, and now they've yeah. gone up more than five x in that time, not including dividends. And and that is and what is the difference between that and umpteen yeah. other retailers that have gone. Uh, bankrupt in the same environment. Yeah, that's right. And the right. difference is the difference is talent. So you you want Buffett often you know God, we're always talking about Buffett, but Buffett always says you want a business an idiot can run because sooner or later yeah, uh, an idiot right. is going to run it. Yep. Premier Investments is not a business that an idiot can run. Um, <laughs> you, you need very, very capable people. They're very intelligent people, and yeah, and yeah. and so and and JB Hi-Fi has an incredible track record. So this is no mistake. Yes, probably a big pay rise, and I think a lot of us at at, at home look at that and go, "That is obscene," and in many ways, it is. <laughs> at at yeah. the same time. Um, History will, will, will prove this to be the case or otherwise, but at the same time, it's probably a very good spend um, from Premier in terms of the return that they could potentially get off that. That 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 at least will be the hope. So, yeah, I don't. I wouldn't say anything more than that. But but this this is something that which is a, a phenomena um, mm-hmm. in Premier Investments. It, it is. It yep. does not get enough attention, enough enough credit. But it is a tough business, and and yeah, you really want good people. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. I will say for not I have to disclose it, I don't own it, but it has been a recommendation of ours at Motley Fool Share Advisor for many years. It remains a recommendation. Um, oh, well done! Just a really, a really great business, a really, really nice business, run really well. Um, yeah, just, just I, I, I you know, it's one of those businesses. NIB is the other one um, that are under yeah. the radar because they're kind of boring. They're not very sexy. They're not very cool. We don't really talk about them a lot. Um, the other one probably ironically is Bunnings as part of West Farmers that we kind of investors kind of know how yeah. good that is but it never gets the, the press it deserves because it's just under the you know hidden under a bushel at, at West Farmers a little bit um, mm. but yeah I, I, I think Premier has done a spectacular job of growing that business um, Miguel and Peter Alexander in particular are just great homegrown businesses they've done themselves and done a really good job uh, NIB yeah. I think Mark Fitzgibbon is the best the most underrated CEO on the ASX bar none um, not really yep. the best CEO but the most underrated bar none um, and yep. I think you know, Bunnings is a, a spectacular business. So I, I completely agree. Yeah, and that's another another tough area, right? Insurance, but yeah, let's not let's not get into that one. Motley Fool Money, financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Speaking of underrated, uh, someone who's not underrated, yeah, the Atlassian boys, Scott Farquhar and Mike Cannabrooks, have done a wonderful job growing their business. Mate, this is only tangentially investing related, but it is business related and it's workplace related. And I thought it was just an interesting insight today, again in the paper this morning. Um, Atlassian are telling their staff they can work from home forever, anywhere they want to work, and they'll only be required to be in the office a maximum of four times a year. And I just thought, you know, Shopify's already done this. In fact, The Motley Fool only in the last couple of weeks, I assume this is, I hope I'm not breaking any confidence here. If I am, sorry, boss. Um, we've now gone virtual first. So no one will ever be required to be in an office again. 
the offices will be there and available, but we are now virtual first. So the business is being set up and, and run accordingly. Um, we talked about the new way of buying stuff in e-commerce. I think this is the new, this is the new story of of workplace management, right? And I, yep. So I, I, I the, the the one thing I will take, one thing I will say, and you can tell me your thoughts. Generally speaking, I would be more inclined to invest in a company that let their staff work from home, for one very particular, well, two very particular interrelated reasons. The first is, if you don't trust your staff enough that you have to micromanage them. That's not a great culture and great cultures rarely make great businesses. Secondly, and kind of related, um, if you don't have a business of a type that you can allow staff to work from home because you're a manufacturing business or something else, you're rarely going to be the sort of business that actually generates high returns anyway. Mm. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm I'm almost inclined to think this through more and make some outlandish statement. I won't, but I'm almost inclined to say something like, if I could bet on the average work from home business versus the average must be in the office business, I am 83.5% sure that the work from home group would win just because they are the sort of businesses run by the sort of people with the sort of cultures that tend to provide better long-term returns. Is that is that too outlandish a comment? No, it isn't. I mean, I always thought, I was, I was always baffled um, back when I was in the corporate scene about so many of the cultures and norms that were there. It just seemed to be counterproductive. Hey, guess what? If I want to skive off at work, I reckon there's more than a few people listening to this podcast right now when they're at their desk with a spreadsheet open or something on their screen. <laughs> so if the boss walks by, they look busy. Andrew, um, our listeners and- would not do that. They're not that sort of per- other people, other podcast listeners. Maybe not not this podcast, mate. Come on. <laughs> oh well, I would. And, do, and this is the point. Like, if you want to bludge off, you will do it, whether you're at work or at yeah, home, right. right? So. So it's exactly. sort of like if you treat your yeah. children, if you treat your employees like children, you know they're going to act yeah. like children. But if you treat them like adults right, and right, respect, right. they they will return that, that to you. So yep. I think I think we've had two things. We've had we've had an attitudinal shift. Well, so yep. let's, first we've had a technology shift, which has just made this possible. Nice. And um, yeah, Zoom meeting is nowhere as good as a real meeting. But uh, wow, the, the the pros outweigh the cons in 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 a hundred different ways. So. But, yeah. but that, that has brought with it, and this is a COVID thing as well, that has changed mm-hmm. the attitudes of people where people think, oh, actually, stuff still gets done, yeah. you know? And, um, and that's, I think, what matters at the end of the day is, is that I need someone to provide a certain deliverable. Is that being delivered or not? Yes? Well, who cares if you don't want to work Tuesdays or you want to take <laughs> yeah, right. uh, Thursday yeah. afternoons yeah. off and you know, do some work late on a Saturday? Who, I don't give a stuff. Like, it just gets done. So that attitudinal change has been very real. Um, so I agree. I, I, I think I think it is going to be much more common. I think it makes a hell of a lot of sense. And I think even outside of all of that, there's a very potent economic argument. Like how businesses have gone. Oh wait a sec. Mm-hmm. How much can we save in terms yeah, of yeah? That's the other thing, right? Space, right? Um, yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. And look, the tech companies are always early adopters on this. So they were the first ones to sort of say, "Hey, you don't have to wear a suit to work." Do you remember yeah, that? Right. God, I used to drive me crazy. Even one place I used to work, we had Mufti Day, but you weren't allowed to wear mm-hmm. jeans. And I was like, well, what? Anyway, it was crazy. And so then, and then they started putting in foosball <laughs> tables and bean bags, and they started having, you know, the, the, the typical Silicon Valley kind of uh, stereotype where there'd be chefs yeah, there that would cook yeah. you an omelet for breakfast. And it all seemed like, oh, wow, what a utopia. It's like, well, yeah, but they're doing that for very good reason, for very good economic, yeah. hard nosed decisions. It's because they want a happy, engaged, productive workforce and if if working from home if adding that to the mix helps do that then i think i am i am all for that um and if if other businesses as you say that that can't do that or won't do that 
it, it, I think it's I think it's a bit of a disadvantage. Hey, before we move on from this one, I, I and speaking of Atlassian, I, I believe you had a bit of a um, uh, celebrity sighting up up near. Oh, Norway. look, I wasn't I wasn't going to go there. I did, I did. I won't I won't share too much. I don't want to, I don't invade the man's privacy. But it did happen to cross paths with Mike Kenner Brooks uh, last weekend, which was kind of oh, I'm so cool. jealous. Um, that's cool. I, I'm not yeah. I'm not going to talk about where or why or how because that's not fair to him, and it's not. I don't want to do that. But did, yeah, did he get his um, number plate, mate? Walked past him and went, I'm sure that's Mike Cannon Brooks. And uh, although someone else said, Man, that was Mike Cannon Brooks. Like, I knew it was, I knew it was. So that was kind of that was kind of cool. That's kind of fun. <laughs> that, that is cool. Fun. Not what you'd expect. Silicon Valley, you know, uh, Titan of Industry is just like downtown in your local shopping strip. Yeah, it, it, it was would, pretty it would be a little, it was pretty little, cool. little little surprising. It was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Mate, um, speaking of tech too, uh, we so <sighs> We've talked about tech a lot and we talk about the trends a lot. I mentioned e-commerce and Woolies earlier. Um, the growth in some of these tech companies at scale is just phenomenal. So uh, we've got some numbers this morning um, and let me let me just run some. In fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal some numbers from uh, my colleague Kevin Gandia, uh, our director of research, who shared some numbers actually just on uh, – we're going to talk about this anyway, but he put some numbers on Slack, which is really helpful. So I'm going to read them out <laughs> almost outright. Yeah, Here nice. we go. Facebook quarter three revenue, $26 billion. That was up 48%. If you can grow from grow by 48% to $26 billion, think about that. Apple revenue up 54% to $90 billion. Microsoft revenue up 19% to $42 billion. Google, I own Google shares, up 34% to $55.3 billion dollars these are astonishing numbers shopify i own shares in shopify as well the the kind of uh website maker slash e-commerce provider whatever you want to call them um first quarter revenue up 110 percent uh these are just remarkable remarkable numbers and it's so a couple of things for me first uh if you're not investing some of these businesses like why are you not (laughs) so just just put it out there secondly um so i would i recommend personally google and shopify because i own them both not not i recommend them because i own them but it's a sign of hopefully faith that i own them so i think you should buy them too um secondly the changes that we just talked about with woolies are continuing to reverberate around the world the, the economy i, I don't want to again i don't want to overstate i don't want to be this whole you know prognostication thing but i'll do it because the economy is changing it's changing really rapidly it's changing really 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 meaningfully if i own shares in a retail reit right now mate you couldn't make me keep them I, mm. If one dollar and twelve woolly sales are going online, how many stores do you reckon they've got in fifteen years' time? If mm. I'm a landlord for DJs or Maya or you know Westfield might get away with it, but, but those second, third tier retailers, man, I'd be mm. I'd be worried if I was a landlord. Um, if yep. I was a if I was a retailer who didn't get this, I'd be worried. If I was producing, and frankly, go back to the very top of the deflation conversation, physical goods, I'd be a bit worried right now. Like the, you know these, these are. These are very serious changes to the economy and I don't want to overstate it, but I really don't want to understate it either. There are changes going on. You've got to know. You've got to be paying attention because this is happening. Yeah. So I, I would, I would, I would um, go back to what I said before about it's very mm. easy in 2021, uh, given everything we know and the history of, of, of the companies you've just read out, Spotify, Facebook, et cetera, that yeah. we've missed it. And it comes back to that point. No, there's still a long way to run. This is unprecedented in history. No company before mm-hmm. has been truly global. You know, anyone with any kind of smart device can be a customer of these. You know, so it's it's literally your your total your t- 
TAM, as they call it, the total addressable mm-hmm. market, is every single person on earth, pretty much, mm-hmm. if they're old enough to hold a smartphone and, and can afford one. Um, and and that is that is unprecedented. And 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 they have very strong moats as well. So I think yep. I think that is is worth saying. And I think yep. that when we look back in the year twenty thirty one, we'll go, oh wow, we were, <laughs> geez, we were so we was well, weren't we weren't we cute with what the technology that we had and what we were doing online? Like I just I just think that run mm-hmm. that it's got such a long way to run. I couldn't possibly imagine in in how it is going to evolve exactly. I think it'll be very surprising as it always is, but it's, it's going to be big, right? By that all, that all civilization ends. Um, so I, I, uh, I think that's a point. The other point that I'd make, and I touched on this before uh, last mm. week with um, uh, uh, Afterpay, uh, when they were, they were moving over, over to the US market or contemplating that. And I had a bit of an exchange with, with uh, Anirban uh, on Twitter about it, mm-hmm. is that you've just read out some incredible growth figures from strongly dominant um, uh, companies, and let me let me let me blow your mind, sir. Um, the mm-hmm. PE ratio of Apple is thirty six. The PE ratio of <laughs> yeah, right. uh, Facebook is thirty. Now, yeah. the market average for those uh, unfamiliar with it over the long term tends to be about fifteen. But when you throw in the ridiculously low interest rates we have and the ridiculously high rates of growth and long runways for growth you have, Mm -hmm. that's insanely low. And let me put this in context to you. So look at something like another global tech company, which is very exciting, very large and growing very strongly, but listed on the ASX. So zero might be a good example here. Well, Mm -hmm. its PE is like over 100. Wisetech's (laughs) PE is over 100. Right, I, right, I right. kind of look at, I don't know if it's the Australian bias that I have, but I look at these companies, I think, <laughs> God damn, they're cheap. <laughs> that is so yeah, cheap. Yeah. Yeah, um, or, or are we just or are we just even more crazily expensive? Do you have a view on that? Yeah. yeah. I think, um, so I think there's a couple things going on. I think, I really think, so Doc actually had the same view, so our listeners will be familiar with your comments. I tend to think that the market's not as efficient or as global as we think. So I don't know that comparing those PEs. So for example, realestate.com has always been stupid expensive. So is CSL. Um, they have been far more expensive than their global peers. And you can say, well, I will buy X because it's cheaper and therefore I expect better returns. But if you expect better returns, you normally expect them because you expect the PEs to somehow change if, you, if that's your basis for investing, right? So if I buy, mm-hmm. if I buy something with a PE of 40 rather than a PE of 20, if both of them grow their profits at the same rate and the PE stayed the same, I'm going to get exactly the same returns from both. The reason you would buy the cheaper PE stock is because you go, ah, uh, now that's going to have a better, you know, relative to the you know, PE changing, maybe the PE goes from 20 to 25, maybe the PE of the 40 stock goes from 40 to 20. Gee, I want to be on the cheaper one. So if there mm. is PE change, I think you're absolutely right. Um, mm. I though don't see any evidence whatsoever that the Australian market or the US market cares what the other one thinks. And so I'm not saying you should only invest. So I agree with your premise, by the way, which is invest in these companies. I said that myself already. You know, these, these are companies worth buying. Go and buy them. Um, so really clearly, I would recommend our, our listeners buy them. Um, the US ones I'm talking about. I own a lot myself. I own Amazon. I own Shopify. I own Mercado Libre. I own Disney. I own Berkshire Hathaway. I think that's the lot. Um, so yeah, go and buy. Go and buy. Half my portfolio is in the US. Go and buy. Um, but... I don't know that I would actually use the relative PEs unless those are going to change at some future point. And yes, in a fish market, they should because if REA is growing at the same rate as Google, but the, the PE is double, then you go, well, of course I buy the cheaper one because it's cheaper because somehow at some point the PE should normalize and they might eventually, mate. So I'm not even saying don't do it. Uh, I'm just I'm just saying I, I, I don't, I'm not, 
I hear you. Convinced I by hear the you. Argument. That's all. Yeah, I think I, I just I, I think you're right too. So a couple of things there. I think if there is any kind of normalisation, it's probably on balance far more likely that we'll see uh, Australian tech companies multiples go back to more normal levels rather than Apple go to a hundred p. Well, that's, I think. Yeah. I think <laughs> so it's, it's kind of yes, I'm trying yes. to not be too obvious in my bias here, but I just I just that yeah, yeah. I just look at some of our tech companies, which are great. Some of them truly are global wonders, you know. Um, but you think, man, I just I don't know how this party is is going to end. It is it is correct, even correct. if these and this is my point. And I said it with Afterpay. Even if the businesses go really 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 well, I just it's it becomes every every inch that that multiple expands mm-hmm. gets mm-hmm. gets harder and harder. One thing, but but just to to your point though. So here's a really interesting one. I think it was South Korea or somewhere like that. There was a really famous US investor a while ago. We go, my God, all the PEs are on seven. You know, like this <laughs> is right. the cheapest market in the world. And this is one of the yeah. you know makes some South of the. Korea, the, the right. Yep. Was it South Korea? And and they have they one of these huge. Uh, this is a first world economy, right? The big yep. big chip yep. manufacturers, lots of yep. high tech, you know, phone companies, all of that kind of stuff. And they they they're big, they're successful, they're international, they're growing fast. And he's going, oh, um, do you know who it was? I, I forget who it who it was. Um, anyway, anyway, but but to your point, and it's, it's a long run up. But my point is. When you look back over history, for whatever reason, whether it's cultural or structural or whatever, I don't know, mm-hmm. PEs have always been in that kind of uh, quantum in that market. So expecting yeah. a stock in South Korea to go from you know average PEs of 7 to 20 might be naive. And, and, and that's just, just illustrating your point. I actually see a lot of people make that in small cap land, that, that mistake, where you, you look yeah. at some of the big blue chip tech companies and you look at some little small cap one and go, oh, it's <laughs> yeah. only on a price to sales of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like, yeah but the, the reality is it's sort of like there, there are double-edged swords here. It might be very tightly held by the founders and other really good stuff, but just it, the market's never going to give it that multiple because it doesn't have the free float. It doesn't have the, the, the broker interest, the fund manager interest. There's just a whole host of reasons why there's there's nothing wrong with buying that company just don't let multiple expansion be the the, the crux of your thesis because that that might not be a good bet in all circumstances yeah i look the only thing i will say mate um is all that said i'm not saying you should buy a company p of 40 instead of a company p of 20 because because you know the the, the risk of oh, yeah, that possibly yeah. changes i wish not worth taking if i could find a p a company grow at 20 percent or two companies growing 20 percent one a p of 21 and a p of 40 i buy the 20 every time if only yeah. because you simply take one risk factor out, which is maybe they do at some point go back to some sort of normalcy, right? And I'm not not yeah. even saying that two companies that the other thing is I'm not saying two companies grow at twenty percent this year will always grow at that same rate. So maybe there are reasons why longer term growth, blah blah blah, like all that other stuff that goes with it, right? So um, yeah. it, it's a, it's a very simplified example, but I do I, I completely agree with you. I would happily buy those US tech giants at those sort of multiples because they just they're just cheap generally, right? Like outright, um, just I you know I think yeah. just. I think just go for it, right? That, that's that's the that's the opportunity. That's so hey, easy. And I, I, sh- I should just just very quick practical yeah. note here. So I, I own all of those companies and more too, except that just okay. I just got a, a couple of ETFs in the US. So that, that's how I do <laughs> it. So if anyone right. is listening, going, oh yeah, but that sounds super hard. Yeah, buy a few ETFs or buy one e- tech focused ETF. You'll 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 just achieve everything you need to in one one fell swoop. Uh, so that is, that is a beautiful way to finish it off. So yes, I think you should buy international shares. I think you should buy individual international shares, but at the very, very, very least, um, get some international exposure. For all the reasons, we probably should talk about this separately, mate, because we've just touched on it. We're going to have to wrap it up. But um, yep. yeah, totally. an international-based ETF is a, a low-cost, broad-based, I will say. I yep. I was talking to um, one of our journos uh, yesterday, actually, about this. I, I, 
I'm warming to the idea of having a new name for ETFs that are index ETFs. There are actually more exchange-traded funds in the US than there are stocks these days, but most of them are just mm. fee-generating machines for fund managers who don't give a stuff about your returns. There are very yep. few that are super low-cost, broad-based, diversified index funds like mm. Vanguard and others uh, Vanguard. who, who mm. you know, give you genuinely low-cost, low broad-based index, which, you know, an ETF was an index fund by another name. Now they've become just a vehicle for fund managers making money, and look, they're entitled to, but... Um, so not all ETFs are the same. We used to be able to say, hey, buy an ETF, that's great. Now every time I say it, I have to say, buy only those ETFs that are broad-based, broad diversified, low-cost yeah. ETFs yeah. Um, because they're the, ones, they're the ones you're looking for. So that's, that's totally. Mate, we're totally. done. But we will come back on Sunday. What do you reckon for a mailbag? You keen? I'm keen, always keen. Hey, hey. Lots good of good man. questions what? to get through. <laughs> exactly. I didn't mention that you're from strawman.com. I completely forgot to do that this, when we started the podcast. Oh, it's all, it's all good. I'm, I'm sure people know now. Hey, look, the easiest thing to do is just just go to that address and, and check it out. You'll find some really smart investors, maybe a few good ideas, and maybe you'll even hopefully have some of your preconceptions conceptions towards some stocks challenged because, uh, as I always say, the best way to improve an investment idea is to challenge it. And that's what go. we're all about. And that address Andrew mentioned was strawman.com. Of course, if you're a Strawman member, come and check out the Motley Fool. If you're a Motley Fool member, check out Strawman. Definitely. Can't, uh, yep. can't be. No, no, no harm in trying, right? Looking is free. So 100%. in the meantime, mate, if you want to get in touch with Andrew directly or you want to follow and see what he's got to say, you can follow him on Twitter at Sage underscore Simeon or at Strawman Invest. There, Andrew's two Twitter handles, one for him, one for Strawman. Of course, Andrew is the Strawman, but he has different Twitter handles, so, you know, treat them accordingly. <laughs> I am on Twitter at TMF Scott P, and The Motley Fool is at The Motley Fool AU. Nice and simple. If you're on Instagram, Andrew, are you there yet? Nah. What is it about not, my co-host? Cool I could enough. never get Docker on Instagram. I, I, I've got, I'm, <laughs> gonna, gonna get, I'm on a mission. I've got to get at least a one out of two strike rate. But uh, in the meantime, you can get me on Instagram at TMF Scott P or The Motley Fool at The Motley Fool AU. And if you're on Facebook, everyone's on Facebook. The Motley Fool Australia is our company page or Scott Phillips Money is my handle on Facebook. Go there for my professional page. All right, mate, that's done. Don't forget you can subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast. Do it through iTunes, your favourite Android podcast app or on either platform using the listener app, L-I-S-T-N-R. It's not cool unless you take out a vowel these days. Um, so make sure you do that. If you like what we're doing, please give us a rating. Leave us a review. Again, as I've said many, many times, these things help our podcast rise to the top. There's plenty of competition out there, but if you're enjoying it, we want to make sure other people can find it as well. And that's one really key way to do it. So thank you. If you could take the time, we'd really, really appreciate it. You can get a dose of foolishness straight to your inbox with some marketing from us for full disclosure by going to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Full Money. We'll see you on Sunday for a bit of mailbag foolish insight. In the meantime, fool on. Thanks for listening. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.